Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and joining me now by phone, it's the uh, Genesee County Sheriff, Chris Swanson. Hey, Chris, welcome to the we show. Love me some Tom Sumner. And, and, it, and you're right. It has been way too long. It's, yes. Uh, I'm surprised. We have scheduled, uh, thanks to the help of uh, Deputy Cranzo, uh, yes. A week from Wednesday, we're going to do a full-blown, you know, now that you're sheriff kind of interview. But uh, right. I, I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to call in and talk with me this morning. Um, because uh, you got your mug in the news a little bit this weekend. Um, in the midst of what have become some very violent protests around Michigan and the country, some awful things in uh, Detroit and Grand Rapids, but other cities, Seattle and, of course, Minneapolis, all in the wake of uh, the the killing at the knee of a Minneapolis police officer, uh, George Floyd, lost his life. And, and people have been, you know, standing up and, and uh, protesting about that. Uh, but Flint didn't see the protests turn violent the way so many cities around the country have. And... and you and uh, a, a detective from Flint Township are getting a lot of credit for, you know, facing the crowd and saying, what do you want from us? And, right. and what what was going through your mind? I mean, you have this keep the order obligation as a law enforcement official, as sheriff, and you go into a situation like that. Um, what was going through your mind? Well, I could start by saying that um, Flint and those that live in Flint and those that have lived in Flint or have ties to Flint should be proud that we made history this weekend because we showed how you can protest without burning the city down. You can break bonds that have been built because of years of frustration. And like you said, eight minutes and 46 seconds destroyed years of community relationships and building blocks. And and it, it's so disgusting and horrifying to watch a man beg for his life while the cops who were supposed to protect did nothing. That's not who we are. And I'm going to tell you that night, Tom, as things continue to escalate, not only in Flint, Genesee County, but around the nation, we were getting all those same intel reports. The crowd grew and it grew and it grew. They marched east and west up and down Miller Road. They blocked traffic on 75 southbound for a minute. They marched back. When they started going to Flint Township Police Department, that's when the temperature changed. And, uh, you know, of course, being the sheriff, working with Flint Township and other agencies, 
you know, we had a we had an instant command. I'm I'm on the street. I'm I'm a I'm a street guy with a command presence, and I was watching it all go down. But when they moved there, and I heard the words "fortify the line," and officers were getting their helmets and shields and batons, I literally was walking down the driveway of the police department, and I'm seeing the line, and I'm watching hundreds of people just out of they're they're just enraged in, at the max level of frustration. I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe we've got to this point. I can't believe it. The cops are scared, and make no mistake, they're scared. We're normal human beings. We don't know what to expect. The protesters had fear in their eyes. I mean, it was a mutual, it was a clash of emotions. And uh, you talk about that Flint Township detective, Chad Miller. Um, I was down the line, and I saw a fist pump between he and another protester. I don't know who instigated it. It was all, again, by instinct, and I saw a quick hug. And it was at that moment I realized, all right, we can talk to this crowd. I took my helmet off. They dropped the batons. I walked into the middle of the crowd. I went to one of the shot callers, and I say, hey, man, and I gave him a big old hug. I said, what do you need from us? Because that guy is not who we are. He said, tell the crowd. I said, get their attention. So he hollered back. He goes, hey, everybody, listen up. Sheriff wants to say something. And I condemned it. I told people that ain't who we are. These cops love you. And uh, the second question, Tom, changed Flint history and put us on the map for the right reasons. And that was, what else do I need to do? And they said, walk with us. And I saw hearts melt that were full of, of frustration and rage and anger turn, literally turn from north to east. And they saw that they had somebody in a position of authority with a heart that showed it, showed vulnerability. And uh, for the next three hours, we were in the back to the parking lot at Target. We had more talks and conversations and hugs and selfies. And, and I left with six people in the lot. And yesterday we had more demonstrations. Uh, they demonstrated right here at Fifth and Saginaw on the front lawn of the county jail. We man, I got a Kogel hot dogs. I gave them water. I bought candy <laughs> for kids. We're we're making it an event, not to minimize the cause, but to show that you can be outraged and protest, and the cops are going to be there with you because we're just as much outraged for what he did to us and gave the cops a bad name, and that George Floyd's memory have changed police work for the entire history. I can tell you that. But has it? How does how does that happen, Chris? Because we've seen this happen, sadly, time and time again. There have been a couple of dozen of these going yes. back to Trayvon Martin for you know, for at least for a starting point. And you know, it's every time this happens, there's a conversation after the fact, you know, that says we got to do this better, we got to do this better, and there are yeah. some sensitivity trainings and so on. And then it goes back to business as usual. How are guys like this guy who who put his knee on uh, uh, George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes, despite pleas from George Floyd and from people in the crowd, hey, you know, let this guy up? How does a guy like that manage to walk the streets among people? you know, like you and Chad Martin? <laughs> Let me just say that's a great question because there's a code that everybody talks about, but that code doesn't apply to people who break the law, who are racially insensitive to people, who have a history of violence. And I can speak for the sheriff's office. We have fired over 80 people. We have charged people with felonies. I got one guy in jail over in Lapeer County right now. I've arrested my own people perp on my own. On a Sunday morning, arrested my own people right out of their bed. We are done. There's no such thing as a bad cop. If you allow a bad cop to work, then we didn't do our job. 
There's no you can't be a bad cop. You got to be out. And if you may wear our badge or our uniform, that doesn't mean you're one of us. And police departments have to have to stop calling a wrong a right. Call a wrong a wrong the way it is. The people trust that. Be quick to make decisions. You know, many times we are our own worst enemies. But you got 800,000 police officers around the nation that go to work every day. And that can be wiped away, like you just said, in less than nine minutes. And it's not a training issue. It's a hard issue. If you see a dirty cop or a cop that's heavy-handed, get rid of them. Get them off. Let them fight their job on the way from the outside. But I'm going to tell you, it's a culture change. I've only been the sheriff since January 6th. I can say this. I know what we're doing, and I know what Chris Swanson's doing, and I'm not trying to be the hero of the nation, but I'm going to tell you, we're going to make a stand. We're going to show the example of what can happen. I'm going to show the example of what police leadership needs to look like. And if cops around the nation are doing it, I'm going to validate what they're doing. It, And if they're not, they need to do it. Police officers in command positions need to get away from conference rooms and podiums and, and intel centers and get in with the people. Mix it up. Serve food. Give them water. Go to their events. Be real with them. And that's what we're doing here. We're going to make a change, but it's got to take action. And if the protesters didn't respond to what I said, what I did, Tom, I'm telling you, we wouldn't be where I'm at right now, and this town wouldn't be where we are. We'd be a statistic. But this town showed that when we take the first step, police officers and police commanders, and then the crowd accepts that, Flint now, you know what the dynamic now is, Flint, is the protesters has made a stand that don't come to our city and destroy what we built. We want to protect it because now people are listening. And they're setting the stage for other areas to lay down your swords. Police, go to your communities. Walk with them. And now you see it. You see it in Miami. You see it in Houston. You see it in Cape Coral. You see it all over the nation, Green Bay. The law enforcement officials are walking into their crowds saying, hey, we're not going to hit you with rubber bullets and tear gas. I mean, my heart breaks for communities that I see burning right now. And shame on people who are using the death of George Floyd as a reason to tear up other people's towns. That, that, that breaks my heart. Yeah, and I think it's important message. to underline what you said, Chris, about the, uh, about the protesters when you said, you know, what do you want? And they came back with, walk with us. That's right. You know, it he could have said a million other things. Yes. And, and that was, you know, it, it was a source of pride on both sides, not not just right. in you, Chris, for, for responding totally the agree. way you did, but but the crowd itself for saying, no, this isn't about, you know, this isn't about tripping Chris Swanson up or this yeah. isn't about embarrassing the man. This is about let's get this right. Let's get together. And, and that message back to you, walk with us, was That's a right. really important moment. And and kudos to you, Chris, for for picking up on it and you know responding the right way. But they really did create the opening. They did one hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. If the protesters didn't do what they did, and you see how fast you know what you bring up a great point, Tom. Did you see how fast they answered the question? When I yeah. said, "What do you need?" They instantly. They didn't even. I mean, you're talking about an unorganized, organized group. They didn't say, "Okay, this is what we're going to say." If they say. They said, walk with us. So that was on their heart. And their heart said, we want to be united. Stop trying to divide us. And we need to listen to that as police officers. One last thing, Chris, because I know you have to go, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes out this morning. Um, we hadn't planned this till the very last minute. And, uh, and thanks again to Deputy Cranzo for <laughs> helping make yeah. this happen. But um, 
I, I, I just want to say that there's there's this this feeling that that black people in in urban settings and and specifically black men are treated differently than everyone else by law enforcement. And how do we how do we change that? How do we not have, you know, those those dust ups like we saw in Central Park with the woman walking her dog with no leash and a guy just tried to encourage her to follow the rules? Yeah. You know what what a weird turn of events. How do we how do we deal with that about people being treated differently for n- no reason at all? Why well, I, I don't think Chris Swanson can give the uh, the all encompassing answer, but I'm going to tell you this: perception <laughs> is reality. And yeah. the Bible says to treat people the way you'd want to be treated, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we live in a country that has a lot of hate. We live in a country that creates a lot of divide. And it sounds, you know, it doesn't sound macho coming from a 27 year cop in a harsh city. But I'm going to tell you, you got to love people, and you got to show it with your actions. And it's going to take one. If you look at any movement that started throughout our nation, from the independence movement to our civil rights movement, it started with people who are all they're asking for is our hope and dignity. How the union was started, just treat us with dignity. And so I'm going to tell you, the, the answer to that is everyone that's listening to your show, to go out and have extra scoop of love in their life and to show people who don't look like you, worship like you, or act like you, that you love them, that you're not... You're not there to create an additional divide. And I don't care how you were raised or what somebody did for you in the past. Today's a new day. May 30th in Flint, Michigan, opened a new chapter, a new history. Wouldn't it be that nice to change? see, uh, you know, instead of, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe, wouldn't it be nice to see T-shirts that say Walk With Us? I'm telling you, they're already out there, Tom. Good. They're already out there. I'm glad to the hear. Hashtag walk with us and Lex walk is gone crazy. And there are shirts and all that. And you know what? That's, that's exactly what we want in that crowd. We want protesters to be lifted up as to what they did. We want the police to be edified as to what they did. Nobody. How about this? Two days, yesterday and the day before, not a single arrest, not a single fire, and not a single injury. In Flint, Michigan. Come on. That's beautiful. It is, and in a place that, uh, you know, corporate America let down and government officials let down, you know, from, from you know, employment problems to yeah. water crisis, you know, it, it's, uh, there are so many things. Um, Chris, there are so many things we could talk about, but let's save yeah. it till next time, because I know you've got, uh, you've got places to go and things to do and people to walk with. Thank you, Tom. It's an honor, and I appreciate all you did for me and uh, just being the guy you are and uh, using your platform to share truth. I love well, you, brother. Very nice to say. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, Genesee County Sheriff Chris Swanson, who uh, made news uh, locally and throughout the country, actually, by responding uh, the right way when someone in a, in a group of protesters he he asked them the right question. What do you want? And they said, "Walk with us." And he and and a lot of other officers said, "We'll do that." And and they did in fact do that. And it's something to be very proud. Of. From the Tom
is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yellow. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, New York Times bestselling author, investigative reporter, and magazine columnist who has a new book that takes a critical look at uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. The book is called Kushner, Inc. The uh, author is called Vicki Ward. She joins me now by phone. Hi, Vicki. Hello. How are you, Tom? I'm doing very well. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you right out of the bat, in this day and age of all kinds of accusations about fake news and so on, were you uncomfortable about the number of sources in your book that remain unidentified? No. Um, I'll tell you why. It's, it's almost impossible to write contemporaneously about a White House with on-the-record sources. Um, people are too afraid of the repercussions. Um, it, would be, it would be different if, if, if it was a few years down the road. So the only way, though, to, to really make sure you can be accurate as a reporter um, is to not trust any one person's view of events. So um, a rule I have when I report on anything actually, but particularly with this book, was to go to a second and where appropriate, a third source, and say, is this how you remembered it too? And, um, you know, and listen to the discrepancies. And then go, you know, so I, I really felt comfortable by the end that, and I think my sources knew because I would go back to them and say, you know, I'm not hearing it the, quite the same way from someone else. So I think they were aware just how hard I worked to get it right. Now, your book paints a very different uh, picture of both Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump than what most people have come to think, that somehow they're this, this moderate and stabilizing force in a chaotic White House but you kind of uncover something else. Yes, I, I do. I think that, the, in fact, the theme, really, of the book is that, unfortunately, these two people are not what everybody hoped. They're not moderating influences on the president. They're not any kind of moral center that, unfortunately, they went into government for self-service rather than for public service. And, you know, they are products of their background, which is to say, you know, these are two people who've grown up for different reasons to be extraordinarily entitled and disdainful of the rules. They believe that sort of rules are for other, perhaps poorer people. Um, And, you know, all of this, creates a very toxic um, work atmosphere, but on a, on, a, on a much bigger level, it really matters because they have um, quietly, and this is what makes them dangerous, that unlike the president, they're not in plain sight. 
they have quietly, almost so no one has noticed, dismantled many of the protocols in our government that has kept our country safe, and they've done it to sort of help themselves. And I think we saw some evidence of that, certainly with Ivanka and her product line early on in the Trump presidency. In fact, Saturday, Saturday Night Live had a great deal of fun with that, actually, um, showing... Uh, well, that, that would be an example, right? I mean, everybody else who goes into the White House has to divest. I mean, the point of public service, that's why it's called public service, is that you have to uh, divest yourself of stocks, assets, so that you cannot have any conflicts. You know, if you if you have conflicts, that that's what makes you a target. That's why you can't then be given a security clearance. <laughs> but Ivanka, who has written, you know, that she believes that perception is more important than reality. She thinks she can sort of message her way out of anything clung on to that fashion business on and on for 18 months and then you know and I as I write she would put herself on phone calls with foreign leaders whose countries would be in a position to give that brand trademarks which by the way they really needed because once the president went into the White House a great a great many domestic department stores dropped Ivanka's line so it was heavily dependent on foreign sales and you know she either put herself on the phone with these foreign leaders or put herself in the room when foreign leaders were were meeting with the president and you know senior staff at the state department and around her at the white house were horrified and they all noticed that suddenly all these foreign trademarks appeared and i think you have to sort of look at everything she did in that light, even even the expansion of the childcare tax credit, which I think a lot of people would 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 agree with and support her on doing that, she did it at the same time that she still owned her business, and had that business had the most appalling labour practices. Um, so it's it's sort of very hard to take what she does seriously when you look at her act if you look at what she says rather than what she does you called the book Sorry, Co- the other way around you called the book kushner inc but yet ivanka really seems to be the face that we see more than jared kushner he doesn't have the same sort of gift for for public appearance that she does. No, but I think that his absence is in itself, right, a very effective um, form of imaging, right? It's given him this sort of air of mystery um, that he must be doing, the idea that he must be doing something very important, whereas... Um, as I say in the book, what he's actually doing is, um, you know, dipl- whether it's diplomacy in the dark or networking in the dark, it's stuff that um, he doesn't want us to know about because it's bad stuff. I mean, the, in April, you know, with the first April of the, 
administration, if you remember, the White House visitor logs were closed. And it was said at the time that that was for um, security reasons. Well, it turns out, and I say in my book, that, that it wasn't security reasons at all. It was Jared Kushner who didn't want the, the American people to know about his networking. And you have to remember, there he is. He's entered government. He's got this tremendous, his father, who is in charge of basically everything Jared does, has got this tremendous financial problem. And he needs investment. And it turns out we would only discover a year later when John Kelly, then the chief of staff, insisted the White House visitor logs be reopened, that Jared had been meeting with um, uh, executives of, of firms who would then lend to his father's business. Furthermore, he let, met with a CEO of a firm um, that was an investor in one of Jared's businesses that he had not only not divested from, he hadn't disclosed that he still had a stake in it. Um, so, you know, that, so, you know, you look at all of that. I mean, when John McCain, the late senator, yeah. was, you know, he was at that point getting treatment for cancer, and he read, or I think he was watching actually on television, that Jared had had all these secret meetings. He just, you know, he was horrified. He said, how can people come into the White House and get a loan? And, you know, that's before we even get to what Jared Kushner was doing by himself without looping in the National Security Council or the State Department in, on, on foreign policy. And that became, you know, Rex Tillerson found it extremely annoying that Jared wouldn't... Um, loop anyone in on his conversations with the, the MBS, the future Saudi crown prince, or anyone really in the Middle Eastern region. And I write in the book that documents would sort of make their way into meetings at the State Department, and they would look at each other blankly and say, well, where did these come from? And the answer was usually Jared Kushner. You know, and, but this went from just being annoying to downright dangerous right after the summit in Riyadh. And you remember, it was all Jared who pushed the president to make the, you know, the United States' first official visit was not to a country with shared democratic values, but to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Partly because Jared thought that the Saudis would finance his peace plan, but they would, that, you know, they would finance all sorts of other things besides. And, um, but the, the theme of the summit was cooperation in the Gulf. And Saudis made a complete mockery of it, and actually, in some ways, of Jared Kushner, when 10 days later, they blockaded a neighboring rival country, the country, kingdom of Qatar, uh, which is much richer than Saudi Arabia, mainly because they wanted its resources. But Rex Tillerson and James Mattis, Secretary of Defense, who were at the time in Australia, were completely horrified because Qatar has an American air base. That's our security in the region. And they knew that the Saudis would never have dared blockade or threaten a country with an American air base without a signal or green light from the White House. And they knew that because Jared had monopolized that relationship, it was Jared who had given the green light. And 
you know, that is when Rex Tillerson thought, you know, this he's his his naivety, whatever his financial problems are, this makes this this makes him very very dangerous. One of the things that that is troubling to me, and and I wonder your thoughts on it. There are so many people who support the president and his administration unconditionally because they believe the government was broken and Donald Trump made this all this noise about going in and draining the swamp and now you have a lot of people when you bring something to the fore like the fact that that Ivanka and and Jared Kushner are are breaking down some of the rules and protocols of the White House there are a lot of people who hear that differently and say, well, that's what we want them to do. We want them to break that stuff. We want them to change things. How do you address those people and, and get them to understand that, that knocking down these protocols? So I, is, yeah, no, I totally hear you, and it's a very interesting point. Do you, do you understand I what I mean? It's, you know, it's difficult know, when I, you go to somebody and and say, well, yes. they're breaking all these rules, and people are going, good, the rules were all wrong. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? So, no, 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 I totally get that. But, but here's the problem, they're replacing the swamp with an even worse marsh, right? It's a, just a different, it's a different kind of swamp, and it's worse because... Precisely, you know, and that is why we had nepotism laws. It wasn't just, you know, Don McGahn, the White House counsel, chief White House counsel, was very concerned about having Jared and Ivanka come into the government, not just because, you know, and he said we have nepotism laws, not just because there's a concern about the corruption that could happen if if you have a president's relatives, because they, they are immediately a target um, for foreign governments, anyone sort of wanting to get close to the president. But it's it's really about competence. Because what if Jared and Ivanka, whose only experience in life to that point was working for their family firm, turn out to be no good at government? And I think the answer to your question is that um, what one thing I would argue that's worse than a swamp is it having a bunch of clueless ignoramuses, sort of Inspector Clouseau types, wandering <laughs> around White House, bumping into all the furniture, and the only people not able to see how clueless they are is themselves. I think that's much worse than a swamp. And no one can fire them. Right, right. I, how is I mean, this, just, just for fun, how is this different than when Jimmy Carter was president and Billy was out selling Billy beer? Right, but Billy Carter, you know, as far as I'm aware, and forgive me because I'm not an expert on all of this, you know, wasn't the senior senior didn't wield the same amount of power. He wasn't considered an advisor to the president. People didn't, yes. Whereas if you look at the 
at the body count um, around, you know, that's come out of this White House. I mean, I think some one of the news outlets did a totaling yesterday. It was over 40. And like 85 or 90% of that is Jared and Ivanka getting rid of people who object to the to the way that they want to do things. And the way they want to do things is they don't, they think everyone else needs to divest, but they shouldn't have to. Jared Kushner doesn't think he needs to tell anyone um, what's on his, you know, who he's having uh, conversations with or the details of those conversations, never mind that the Saudis had an American, you know, journalist for the Washington Post killed. And I think that the lack of accountability, going back to your earlier question, is really troubling. And at one point, the president tried to get them to stay in New York. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, this is also what is interesting, that, you know, the president was actually ambivalent right at the start about them coming in. Um, he didn't, I mean, he, I think he was wanted them there, but he also wouldn't have minded that much if they didn't come. So this is all them pushing to be there. And it was Steve Bannon, of all people, who sort of said, I think they might be helpful. And of course, we know how that story ends, that, that Bannon ushers them in and they basically send him packing. Um... But, you know, that when they make mistakes, so, for example, you know, the email, the, the misuse of email, that drove the president really mad because he had, um, you know, campaigned so, so vociferously against Hillary Clinton's misuse of email. He was really, really furious about that. And um, he doesn't like it that, that Jared and Jared's father, you know, they, their finances get all this scrutiny because he thinks that that means that his own finances could come under more scrutiny and he's quite unexcited about all of that. So he did ask John Kelly to send them, you know, basically to make life so unpleasant for them that they would want to leave. But then the irony is he couldn't do it. I mean, I think he finds it very difficult to say no, not so much to Jared. It's to Ivanka, to his daughter. Uh, and then, you know, he'll he'll forget about it. They'll do something helpful, and, and it will be as if he never had those conversations. And then something, you know, some, a negative headline. He doesn't like it when people other than himself make his presidency look bad. I think it's very important to remember that. It's 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 interesting to me that... The the Trump phenomenon itself, just surrounding Donald Trump, where, you know, he has this, this management style of really sort of coming in and, and mucking everything up and then trying to be the ultimate fixer. And in some <laughs> cases, that has actually worked out for him. But what skill set do these two bring to the White House if any at all, that that have any possibility of positive outcome? Well, they really don't. I mean, they're, they're, they're good at public relations. 
at messaging. Um, you know, and I think that one of the things I point out in the book is that they're, they're you know, when they were in New York, um, Jared, for example, would spend a lot of time networking with older, more important people. The problem was that his colleagues at Krishna Companies felt that those individuals, all the networking, didn't really help the bottom line of Krishna Companies. So they sort of um, were somewhat despairing about it. But 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 it definitely helped Jared. Um, you know, Jared, his own brand. So I think that if they have a skill, it's uh, you know I think they're good at working with people. But when it comes to um, policy making, I think it's a real problem because um, you know both of them are blind as to their own inexperience, and that's really what it, it, it makes them um, extremely sort of. <laughs> Sort of troubling. I mean, when, for example, around healthcare, um, people noticed that Jared has pushed policies that would benefit his brothers. His brother has a health insurance company that's worth $2.7 billion, or it was. And so every time that there was a sort of a brainstorming meeting to discuss how, what health, you know, the repealing of Obamacare might look like. The only suggestions that Jared ever supported were those that basically would help his brother financially, and it seemed clear that his ideology—you know—there was no real, actual ideology here other than self-interest. And again, when it came to something that Ivanka had said she really believed in, which was the power—you know—that the we should um, not pull out of the Paris Climate Accord. I mean, she'd been very public. Um, and took a position on that. Um, Gary Cohn, senior economic advisor, um, said to Ivanka, well, look, I can run round, I can get all these important businessmen into the, into the White House to try and talk to the president, but couldn't you, what would be most effective is if you just had a word with your father, you know, daughter to father, yeah. about this. said, no, I just can't do that. And so, you know, which completely, you know, splinters, crashes, you know, ex explodes the notion that she has publicly put out there that she can talk to him candidly about anything. Because when Gary Cohn asked her to do something, to do just that about an issue she had said she really cared about, she could not do it. More with author and investigative reporter Vicki Ward about her book, Kushner, Inc. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com The 
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. It'd be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author and investigative reporter Vicki Ward about her book, Kushner, Inc., straight ahead. Sort of the heart of the book, in many ways, is their response to what the president said about Charlottesville. And I think that that's extraordinary. Um, you know, Gary Cohn was so upset by what the president said about there being very fine people on both sides. Right, right, I remember that. But he wanted to resign, and he was on his way to resign, and he went to the, the Trump have a sort of compound in Edmonton, New Jersey. He dropped in on Jared and Ivanka have a house there as well, and he went to see them and said, look, I'm going in to resign. And Ivanka, you know, Jared was rather typically silent, as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> He's often silent. Yeah. Um, um but Ivanka said, couldn't understand what Gary Cohn's problem was. And Gary Cohn said, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish immigrant. You know, my, you know I mean, I, I can't listen and support someone who's supporting the people with placards, sort of the anti-Semitic placards. I can't, you know. And she said to Gary Cohn, no, no, you've misunderstood. My father didn't mean any of that. And when Gary Cohn explains it, his father had absolutely meant what he'd said because Gary Cohen had been involved with some of the messaging that the president had completely thrown out. Um, Ivanka then said, no, no, you don't understand. My father did not say that. I mean, a very Trumpian response. He was just going to deny flat out. (laughs) You you could play the tape for him and he'll say, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But again, you know, this... So, I mean, it begs the question, who is she? What does she believe in? I mean, it's, you know, these are, are, you know, what is she doing in the White House? (laughs) Well, there have been times where she's made public comments that appeared to have an impact on the president walking back some of his comments or actions. Not really. You're thinking perhaps of immigration, right? Yeah, but and there have been some some women's things too, where she's gone out and made some public statement that seemed to be contradictory with the president, and then he softened his message, and it and it sort of gave the impression that she was having an impact on him. But not really, because if you yeah, so what I say in the so the the Muslim travel ban, right? Yeah, that happened right at the beginning. Okay, so that came from sort of the Steve Bannon, Steve Miller wing 
of the administration. It was kept quite a secret, right? They put it out on a Friday night. And Jared and Ivanka would have been having Shabbat. In fact, they did. They did. It was their first Shabbat um, dinner, and they invited Gary Cohn and Stephen Mnuchin and Wilbur Ross and others to join them. And at that dinner, Gary Cohn said to Jared and Ivanka, have you heard what's going on? You've got to stop this. And Jared said, no, no, we can't stop it. This is what the president campaigned on. He's got to do it. The next night, the couple went out to a black tie dinner and took a photo of themselves, all dressed up in their black tie regalia. And she had on some silver metallic dress. Well, meanwhile, there were scenes of chaos around airports in the country as this ban had suddenly gone into effect and people couldn't get on flights or they were stuck. I mean, if you remember. And and people looked at her Instagram and were horrified. And this meme went around, you know, let them eat cake. Oh, yeah. Because it was such an ignorant thing to have done. And it was only after that that she went to her father and said, okay, I think we've got to reverse the travel ban. And I think the question then was raised in the minds of the people who are around her, is she, is this, what is this really about? She was fine with it until she got attacked. And I think that the same with immigration, her own um, stepmother, Melania, was way in front of Ivanka, um, when the issue of children being separated from their parents at the border True. was first raised, um, Ivanka again waited. And so there's this habit that she has sort of waiting and appearing to be responsible and taking the credit. But I don't think it's real. Vicky, unfortunately, I'm going to have to stop you there because we're out of time. I feel like we could go on for another hour easily. Yeah. Um, but I always want to make sure guests get an opportunity to share with listeners where they can find out more about what we're talking about. Of course, the book, Kushner, Inc., is uh, a, uh, a very different look at um, Ivanka Trump and uh, Jared Kushner. Um, but, Vicki, do you have a website? I do. Vicki Ward, Vicky, so it's V-I-C-K-Y-W-A-R-D dot com. Vicki, thanks so much for spending this time with me. And keep Thank up the good work. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care. That was uh, Vicki Ward. She is a New York Times bestselling author, investigative reporter, and magazine columnist. She's written uh, the first explosive book about uh, Javanka and their infamous rise to power. The book is called Kushner, Inc., and... Uh, We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're going to drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came came in tap dancing, playing his six string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, 
You listen to me If you're texting while you steer Don't drive If you've been drinking beer Don't drive If you're talking on the phone Don't drive If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow Don't drive If your foot can't reach the pedal Don't drive If you're wearing no apparel an illegal prescription Don't try And no one understands your diction Don't try Don't speed, don't read, don't read, don't tweet Don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat And don't put no makeup on or shave You know you're not supposed to do that If you've got to do something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes Ah, go ahead and scuff them up if you're driving with your knees Don't drive If while you roll you eat Don't drive If you don't know how to drive Don't drive If you've been psychedelicized Don't drive If you're kissing on your boo Don't drive If the boo's kissing on you Don't drive If you've been drinking at a bar Don't drive If there's guns in the car Don't drive Don't groom, don't shave, don't in your ears or rummage through your purse. Ugh, don't do that. Huh. If you won't do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and talk on my food man chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. Hmm. If you feel like a nap. Don't try if there's a pooch on your lap Oh, it's dangerous and creepy If you're feeling really wired If your license is expired Don't you drive uh, around the town You gotta do something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and Step on my bluesway shoes, scuff them up! Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Manchu! Yeah. If you wanna do something, you wanna do something that's good! If you're feeling like any of that stuff, don't drive! Make sure you got a clear head! Ow! Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Hope you enjoyed our guests. We had a bunch. Uh, and we had encores with uh, journalist Vicki Ward, uh, author of Kushner, Inc. And we talked with uh, Sheriff Chris Swanson um, summer before this uh, summer, last summer, I guess you would say, about the... Uh, Black Lives Matter March and uh, Walk With Us. And, and that was a very interesting conversation. We also talked with, from Transmedia, Tom Madden uh, from Madden's Mischief about the word kerfuffle. The Tom Sumner Program we'll be back Monday. Good night, everybody. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.